0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music, and
1: more. Elvis. Well, it was, him. It was the 8th, uh, so it was early in the week. He would have been 89, uh, if he was still with us, Elvis passed away 46 years ago. So why is his influence on popular culture as alive as it ever been? Well, if you need proof, as you know, in New South Wales, thousands, literally thousands of diehard Elvis fans are meeting in parks in rural New South Wales to celebrate the King's birthday. In fact, next week, there's a new biopic, too, of Priscilla Presley's. And that's coming out as well. Now, we can't speak to the King himself, uh, because he's just as influential now as he's always been, really. So we figured we'd talk to the next best thing, and that's J.D. King. JD is a member of the Elvis Tribute Artist Hall of Fame, currently the reigning grand champion of the Harbour Lights Elvis Festival, and just cleaned up at the 2024 European Elvis Grand Championships. Not only is JD considered one of the best Elvis tribute artists to exist in Europe, he's also considered one of the best tribute artists about Elvis in the world. I'm very happy to say that he joins us now on Overnight's JD Kinga Day.
0: Good morning to you. Thanks for having me on.
1: Mate, thank you for joining us. It's uh, a pleasure to talk to you. How did you get your start as an Elvis uh, tribute artist?
0: Well, I think my story is quite similar to a lot of people, actually. I just, I mean, if I go back a bit further than that, really, I just—I discovered Elvis when I was probably about five, six years old. I just was looking through my mum's old record collection and I just happened to craft a a greatest hits album of Elvis. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know who, who he was uh and i asked to put it on i just liked the cover she said it was the king of rock and roll i didn't know what that meant and (laughs) but very quickly i did because i heard things like hound dog blue suede shoes jailhouse rock and i think when you hear rock and roll for the first time as a kid i think it just has an incredible effect on your brain so from that moment on i was just a huge elvis fan i had a big banner across my bedroom that said elvis forever and uh, i grew up listening to the music and learning more about it and by the time i was 18 i was doing karaoke and singing elvis songs in pubs and clubs, and then it just turned into a show out of that.
1: Interesting, isn't it, J.D.? I uh, say to my listeners often, I was a bit too young for the first explosion of Elvis in the 50s, but uh, when he was, and I've been in this business a long time, when he came back in Hawaii in 1968 and then Suspicious Minds in 69 and some of the great songs in the early 70s, I became a huge fan then. And I think uh, the thing that a lot of people don't know about Elvis if they're not into him is what a great musician he was. There's no doubt about that.
0: Yes, he was. And he wasn't a traditional musician in the sense that he was like a great pianist or a great
1: no, guitarist,
0: no. but he had great musical instincts, you know. Um, I mean, a lot of people might not realize, but Elvis was instrumental in the arrangements of his songs. and So was. many of his yeah. songs were reinterpretations of other people's work. He wasn't a composer himself, but the the way that the music was presented, the style of music was was a, kind of an extension of his own feel for mm. the songs, and that's kind of fundamental to what makes Elvis such a brilliant artist to listen to, is just that emotion that he portrays through the music.
1: Yeah, and when you hear the stories of some of the great songwriters who contributed songs to Elvis, how incredibly excited they were to be working with him and have one of their songs chosen to be performed by the King.
0: It was a great honour, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, when you think about things like Sweet Caroline, you don't yeah. have to say you love me. There are all sorts of songs that... um became synonymous in many ways with Elvis. I mean, think of Blue Suede Shoes and Carl Perkins. Mm. Carl Perkins had a number one hit with that, but Elvis only had a number two hit. Mm. But when you say Blue Suede Shoes, you you probably, unless you're just a huge rock and roll nerd, you probably think of Elvis first. You do, yeah, you do.
1: Now, how do you train for this, J.D., preparing uh, the whole process to become, you know, Elvis Presley?
0: Well, there's no Elvis University. Um, maybe there should be. That's an interesting <laughs> idea. But, um, you know, it's, like, it's kind of an individual journey because I think most of us who become tribute artists are first and foremost Elvis fans. So we're not necessarily uh, people who come from performing backgrounds. I mean, I, I actually did come from a performing background. Um, in fact, my grandfather was quite a famous Australian actor um, based in Sydney, a man called Ed Devereux. Who was um, serious like Matt Hammond and Skippy the Bush Kangaroo? yeah. Wow. yeah. So um, <laughs> that's my grandfather. So um, so I've never actually been to Oz myself, but um, but I've got a great lineage there. So um, so that's kind of you know I kind of grew up all around that and sort of acting and musical theatre. So you know I never wanted to be that sort of thing. Ironically, I never actually wanted to be a performer. I was kind of wanted to do my own thing. Mm. But uh, but Elvis had such a great pull on me, and and because I grew up around performers as well, I, I guess I had some good instincts mm. for characterization and i think that's one of the key things you know is um Hmm. if you want to be a good elvis impersonator or tribute however you want to put it you have to have a good capacity to observe the, the the body language of the man the way he spoke the way he moved So that you really want to evoke a kind of a sense of him being in the room because that's what we want to do is want to try and create that illusion Mm. that he's there. None of us look exactly like him, sound exactly like him, can move exactly like him. But if you can combine all of those elements sufficiently, you can create an an illusion that gets people excited because that's the whole point of being a tribute is just to bring that bit of magic into the room.
1: Yeah. I can't believe I'm talking to Ed Devereux's grandson. It's incredibly cool. (laughs) (laughs)
0: fantastic thank you
1: um so how do you um well i suppose it's becoming what's the most challenging let me put it this way the most challenging of elvis's you know movements persona uh, to replicate
0: again i think that's quite an individual thing because because we're all different people you know like what is your vocal range is it the same as elvis is it not Mm. elvis had a very unique voice he he was kind of, he had the richness of a baritone, but he also had a top end, which made it very exciting with a lot of songs he sung. He was an incredible mover, as we know, and that was pretty natural. Oh, yeah, he wasn't yeah. a trained dancer. But um, it's its actually, it's quite daunting when you look at all the different aspects of Elvis Presley, because he really was the one in a billion person. He was one of the most handsome men who ever lived. He was a great mover. He had an incredibly emotive and beautiful and brilliant rock singing voice when he wanted it to be it's all of these different things combined so trying to make yourself be like someone else and not yourself is very difficult elvis was just being him that was just his voice that was his emotion that was the way he portrayed the music the way he felt it but trying to put yourself in the place of being him that just that takes a lot of sort of brain activity to try and override your own instincts and that's the hardest bit
1: yes indeed and uh you know, I say often to my listeners and the Elvis fans know this to be true. I mean, uh, some of those movies he made in the mid-60s were pretty bloody awful. And then he came back in 1968 with uh, that incredible uh, comeback show in Hawaii and then uh, let fly with a whole bunch of songs, which were probably better than anything he did before. And uh, it was uh, an incredible resurgence, really.
0: It was incredible resurgence. It really was, um, you know, he he had done so much, um, he's been so happy about getting into Hollywood. You know, he was really excited about that, and his early movies were very promising. You know, Jailhouse Rock and King Creole were both very good films, I think. But by the mid '60s, it just became a it, it just it, it's a it just became a conveyor belt. You yeah. know, of making movies quickly, shoot them in a couple of weeks because they always made money. They always made a lot of money. No, yes, and it yeah, was very well yeah, paid for them. Yeah. You know, but so it just and Colonel Parker's attitude was, well, let's just get them out the door doesn't really matter they don't have to be academy award-winning um and Elvis got fed up with that and you know thankfully the people behind the 68 special the director steve binder and his team they really wanted to bring back some of what made elvis you know brilliant in the first place popular in the first place that rock and roll edge no. and that wasn't in the original plans for the special that just came out of obs- observation of elvis backstage with his guys singing songs thinking we should put that on camera. There was all kinds of controversy. They, they didn't want to show Elvis sweating on camera. Yeah, That was the kind of, you know, the standards <laughs> that existed in the 60s. You know what yeah, I mean? Of course. So, um, yeah. so it was it was awesome to see because it, it actually let Elvis be Elvis again. And it sort of set a new standard. The sort of first unplugged performance you can ever really think of mm. was Elvis's 68 comeback special. Mm. And, you know, it cements his, his legendary legacy because he actually came back. To the top, you know, he mm. was. It wasn't just a one off that faded, you know. Muhammad Ali is talked about as the greatest boxer of all time, not just because he was brilliant, but because he came back and he beat George Foreman that's right. in the Rumble in the Jungle, and he right. went back to the top, yeah. So, I think that capacity to come back is, um, that sort of redemption story is, uh, is incredibly powerful, and that's part of the mm. reason why. He's seen as so legendary
1: today. Oh, the 68 special was uh, just magnificent. I mean, and it went back to being him. He was playing the guitar again, sitting there, and uh, you're right, basically jamming. It was an unplugged thing, wasn't it? And it was just, I mean, I think it just whacked everybody in the head. They went, wow, there he is again. There's Elvis.
0: Just reminded everyone who he was, you know, because the movies, you know, were the the polar opposite. That was just a, they were quickly written, poorly conceived scripts the same basic story over and over again, a mysterious handsome stranger turns up in town, sings a few songs, beats up a few guys and um, takes home a few girls. You know, that was kind of the storyline over and over again, but it was, it was very phony, you know, but the Sixty day special was raw. It was real. It was just him doing his thing. It wasn't scripted, you know, at least that part of the special wasn't. And that's what everyone remembers about it. And it's, It's being genuine which really connects with people.
1: Yes, and tribute artists tend to dress as the Elvis of, you know, the Vegas shows in in the early 70s rather than, you know, the Elvis of the 50s with the floppy hair over the forehead and the baggy clothes. I wonder why that is.
0: Well, it's a good question. I mean, I think when you think of Elvis, a lot of people, the first thing they think of is, you know, the jumpsuit, the 70s look. and Whether that's more to do with Elvis or more to do with tribute artists is a very good question. I think if you're certainly if you're older, because let's not forget, Elvis was only 42 when he died, you know, which is a pretty young yeah, age. Very. So nice. but there are a lot of guys who are older than that who want to be tribute artists. And, you know, if especially if you're, you know, a larger gentleman, <laughs> you might think, well, I'll put on a jumpsuit because that's just going to suit me better. So maybe that's kind of part of the reason. But also, if you're being a 70s Elvis, you kind of have the ability to kind of do a bit from all of the catalogue because you can kind of say this is the last era and I can do bits and pieces of the earliest stuff. Whereas if you're dressed as a 1950s Elvis in his gold Lame jacket, you can't really then do the seventies music. It's just not going to work.
1: that I understand. Yeah, understand. Yeah. Right. So on that uh, path, how do you, uh, do you adapt the, I mean, Elvis is Elvis. Do you adapt the performances to try to appeal to a younger audience sometimes?
0: I wouldn't say so. Um, I think, I, mean, I don't, I can't speak for any other performer, but in, in my own mind, I think there's. I have a very specific narrative of the style of personality Elvis had. I mean, you can look at an audience, right? You can say, OK, we've got this type of audience for this event. Maybe we'll do more fast songs or we'll do more slow songs. Yeah. You know, you'll balance it. But in terms of the actual presentation of character, I I, I don't think I could do that, to be honest, because I'm, I'm such a nerd about it anyway. <laughs> it's, so, it's so ingrained in my head, you know, all the hours and hours of watching Elvis perform and all the bootlegs I collected, recordings of him. You know, it it just be it would feel almost sacrilegious, but also it would just feel unnatural to sort of go outside of that to try and maybe overthink it and think, oh, I've got to make Elvis relevant for the 21st century. I think he's the amazing thing about Elvis is he's still just as relevant because these because his relevance is is because of untan, intangibles. You know, yeah, it's to yeah. do with his the quality of his performance and how he he emotes through his music. You know, I think that's much more important and it's much more timeless.
1: Well, yes, and you're right. There was the Elvis of the 50s, then, of course, the movies in the 60s, and, uh, you know, the period he spent in, in Germany, uh, in the army. I mean, all part of uh, what we've grown up to to know and love about Elvis Presley. And then he came back and the Vegas shows, I mean, it was, you're right, the white jumpsuit, there was jewelry everywhere and those sunnies he loved to wear and lots of rings on the fingers. I mean, really, uh, he influenced a lot of uh, the culture of the world, Elvis Presley presley just by being him
0: he did he did i mean going back to the 50s you know he he modeled his hair on truck drivers who had <laughs> yeah. it very long you know in, in the mid 50s short back and sides were very much the thing you know um sideburns weren't cool but <clears throat> characters like elvis made that cool because he was just he was just being himself you know he wasn't he wasn't trying to define he wasn't thinking to himself right i'm going to define a new fashion era here or anything like that but it was it was an expression of this is beyond the sort of basic conformity. I'm just going to literally let my hair down a bit, right? Let my hair grow out. (laughs) And Mm. if we think put ourselves in the context of the mid-50s, you know sort of white american culture it was quite controlled oh yes there was a sense that things should be a certain way should be presented a certain way and of course elvis was the great disruptor of that not because he was trying to be a revolutionary but just because he was just being himself he was just feeling the music he was just enjoying himself on stage enjoying expressing himself and he just so happened to um, upset a lot of people because he suddenly started performing not just through his his voice, but also through his body as well.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. The the famous story of, uh, I think it was on the Ed Sullivan show, that you couldn't film him below the waist because uh, the hard religious right in America hated the very thought of those hips swiveling like that, didn't they?
0: <laughs> yes. I mean, uh, you know, you can imagine teenagers, and this really was the birth of teenagers yeah. in the 50s. We're absolutely loving it. But, yeah. uh, but for those who were used to seeing crooners like Sinatra or what have you just kind of standing there, um, very still, you know, singing beautiful songs, of course, but just not expressing themselves in that way, it would have felt quite alien to them. Mm. And, uh, and I think that really was one of the first great cultural shifts that we saw between, you know, when young adults become, when you had the difference between actual teenage culture rather than young people, just sort of being young versions of their parents, mm. you know, this was the kind of, a. A, start of a, a sense of young identity that started to emerge, and Elvis was the figurehead for that.
1: Well, that's right, and it would have been incredibly difficult just to be him. You know, you know whether these stories are all true or not, you don't know of him booking out theatres at 2 o'clock in the morning because he couldn't go out in public because he'd just get mobbed and, you know, the sleeping all day and working at night and taking lots of uppers and downers and all the stories we know about Elvis Presley. It would have been very difficult to be Elvis from his point of view, I'm sure.
0: Oh, 100% agree. Yeah. yeah. He had the most extraordinary life, but also a very difficult life because he was the first superstar. Um, you know, unlike the Beatles, where there were four of them, mm. so they could look after each other. You know, Elvis was on his own and mm. he became incredible. He came from a dirt poor family, um, you know, quite a shy guy, really. But he was, yes. was happy yeah. to express himself on stage and suddenly he's a global superstar in the way that no one has ever seen it before. It must have been an incredible cultural shift for him Mm. and he embraced it. I think he wore it very well, but over the years, that's going to have a psychological effect on you. Just that sense that you can't go outside your door. You know, someone like me as a tribute artist, it's, it's great because I can, I can pretend to be Elvis in the, in the context of a show, Mm. but then I can go back to being me. I can go back to being anonymous, just just like everybody else. Whereas, he walks down the street and he's going to get mobbed and people are going to rip his clothes off and scratch him Mm. and all sorts of things. So that's going to affect your brain
1: after a while. Yeah. I've told my listeners this story a a few times uh, when he died in 1977. I was on the radio in in a place called Newcastle here and it's the most extraordinary day I've ever spent uh, on the air. There was women literally, you know, in tears, um, you know, quite hysterical about the fact that and they were saying saying to me, tell me it's not true, please tell me it's not true. Uh, And that was a long time ago, but yet still, there's still a fascination with this man But uh, you know, JD, uh, to me, uh, being in the business I'm in, it was always about the music with Elvis Presley Because he's just, as you say, one of the best ever, extraordinary voice, just one of the really good looking blokes of all time And the whole package, and I doubt that will ever be repeated, I really do
0: Uh, Well, I have to agree, you know, um, I mean, I know I'm biased, right, but, um, but like I said, Elvis is a one in a billion. He has all of those attributes. And, but also I think it's worth pointing out that Elvis, Elvis had an incredible appeal that went beyond. It was, it was more than one dimensional. It was very three dimensional because he, he went beyond just being a rock and roller. He was a great ballad singer. He was a great soulful singer. He was a great gospel singer. Um, he sang country. he, he could pretty much read the phone book and you would enjoy it because there was something about not only the sound of his voice, which was just a very unique sound. I believe one of the three tenors remarked that if they could have anyone's voice in the world, it would be Elvis, which is quite an mm. interesting thing to mm. think that one of the three tenors said that. Yep. Um, but it was the way he did It's it the way he, the way he expressed his music, the way he expressed himself through his music. Mm. And that's why I, I firmly believe that's why the people, can still listen to all of these classic songs that Elvis wrote, Elvis sang yeah. back in the day, decades and decades ago, and still get an enormous amount out of them. They can still bring you to tears. They can still get you jumping around the room because there's just so, something so fundamentally brilliant about the way he expresses the intention of the music.
1: Yeah, it was quite an extraordinary thing. How long do you think, JD, this uh, fascination that it is uh, with Elvis, from your point of view, I hope you think a long time, how long do you think it's going to go on for?
0: Honestly, I can't see a way that it's going to fade away anytime soon. Um, I mean, I started this, like I said, o- over 20 years ago. And um, it's incredibly heartening to me to see uh, an extraordinary number of young Elvis fans and um, and young Elvis tributes as well. Like, you know, there's this European championship that I won at the weekend. You know, there's a youth category there and you've got 12 year olds, 10 year olds, 14, 15 year olds. You know and they all just they want to be Elvis tributes wow. you know and I find that extraordinary that's <laughs> yeah. like you were born so long after he after he died you know how 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 is it that this pull of Elvis is still so strong and it's just he's kind of of his time and timeless because of these timeless qualities that I described I think that's the best way I can think of it to justify it but it doesn't seem to matter how long it's been since he's since he's passed or no, how long it? it's been yeah. since the 1970s he's still just as relevant now
1: yeah it's amazing isn't it Ed Devereaux's grandson. Now, JD King, is that a stage name?
0: That is the stage name. I mean JD is in Jim Devereux. Yeah. Um Devereaux is not easy for always easy for
1: people to pronounce.
0: So <laughs> no. JD is easy for the stage.
1: <laughs> now, the most important question I'm going to ask you this morning is why aren't you in Parks?
0: Oh, well, that's a very good question. Well, I got an excuse. <laughs> I was at the European Championship in the UK. Good excuse. Which I just won. So, you know, that's my excuse. But, you know, well, let's put it this way. Maybe I can be at Parks next year, you know. If um, Maybe the European champion could be in Australia. If Australia can be in Eurovision. Yeah. Then maybe uh the European champion of Elvises can be uh can be a Parks. You know, maybe we can make it happen. I don't know who to speak to, but uh but I'll put the word out and see what happens.
1: <laughs> well, we can be the go-between if you like uh, with that, because you should be here well, as we speak. They're there now with the Elvis Festival, and the whole and it's a lovely town in the central west of New South Wales, Parks, and the whole town becomes Elvis uh, for a, a week, and they just have the best time, and they all get to Central Station and get up there on the train, and there's Elvis tribute artists from one end of the platform to the other, and all dancing and having fun, and it's just uh, we love it here. It's just terrific that they. Do it still, and uh, they. I think they had to had to have a break during COVID. By the way, did did COVID interrupt your performances as well? I imagine it did.
0: Oh, it was terrible. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what restrictions were like in Australia, but here, you know, we were pretty much the first thing to be shut down and the last thing to reopen. You know, with with lockdowns. So, um, I mean, it got it got to a point where you know I couldn't even I wasn't even allowed to stand in a garden and sing through a window to oh, somebody. No. Yeah, it was terrible because um, hmm. because the neighbour you know, a neighbor would object to, you know, the proximity and all that sort of thing. So it was, it was really hard. It was really hard. I do remember being asked to sing more quietly as well, which was an interesting uh, <laughs> restriction. The probably, the probably the strangest one was that she'd have to finish by 10 o'clock. Because, yeah, right. Because, um, you know, apparently the virus gets very angry at 10.01, apparently. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know, the, it, it was an odd time, but it, it was one that, you know, we all just kind of got through. You know, it was, um, you know, it was an extraordinary time for the whole world. And you just, I just felt lucky. I never felt more lucky about what I do than when I was able to come back to it afterwards because mm. I'd done it for a long time and I'd always, always loved what I did, but I never really appreciated it as much as when the restrictions lifted and I could actually do it again. i think, mm. wow, what an incredible job that I have. What a wonderful privilege it is. Mm.
1: Yes, and there's been a big comeback, hasn't there, in, uh, in Elvis uh, over the last couple of years. What did you think of Austin Butler's performance in the Lerman movie?
0: I thought it was excellent. I mean, especially when concerning his persona, his, the, the sort of dramatic scenes, you know, when he's actually playing Elvis in character. Mm. I mean, his stage performance stuff was good as well. Don't get me wrong. It was very good. But the stuff I really loved was just the way he spoke as Elvis, the body language, the way he moved. It was very authentic. And this has come from someone who has spent a lot of hours watching Elvis and <laughs> observing him very carefully. So I really appreciate the work that Austin put in to really to really capture the essence of Elvis. And I think the movie did a very good job of capturing that personal essence as well. You know, this this sort of shy, humble guy Mm. who was very giving, but also very extraordinary when, when the mood took him.
1: Yeah. And absolutely adored his mum, as we know. Yeah, absolutely. Now I've not seen this one yet. I mentioned it in the intro, the Priscilla movie directed by Sophia Coppola. Have you seen that?
0: I haven't seen it yet. Unfortunately, Um, I've only my only opinions about it are based on reviews that I've read yeah. and what people have said about it. I know it's based on Priscilla's book, which I did read many years mm, ago. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's, I, it's, it's another interesting take. And I, I think that I think it's important to point out that Elvis Presley, as wonderful as he was, he's also a human being, an extraordinary human being. But he was a human being. And there's another perspective on. You know the, the part of his life which was the love of his life, Priscilla, yep. and how she fulfilled that emotional role for him more than anything. Um, because you know, like we said earlier, Elvis was, you know, he was he had fame thrust upon him at a very young age, yes, indeed, and he had a very overbearing manager, and he and I, and he lost his mother, you know, hmm. and I think he was looking for an emotional support, and I think Priscilla more more than anything, actually, in in those early years when they. When they were getting to know each other and she came to graceland was was that kind of emotional mm. outlet for elvis and um you know uh, you know we have to say about lots of elvis fans have different opinions about priscilla but mm. i think it's fair to say that she has in the round she's done a lot of things oh for yeah. elvis's legacy like ensuring that graceland stayed open for example and turned it into a museum so there's exactly. lots of positives there and um and i think it's absolutely fine to have more Interesting aspects of Elvis's story looked at.
1: Yeah, look from what I've read, I think Priscilla's done a great job of maintaining the legacy, and of course now Riley Keough, his granddaughter, will manage Graceland. But I'm pretty sure there'll be uh, there'll be some input from Priscilla because I think she's making sure of that and uh, inheriting it from Lisa Marie, and and sadly JD, uh, Lisa Marie's gone too.
0: Yes, um, really sad, really really sad, and um. It's interesting actually because a lot of people in Elvis's family died young, you know, particularly yeah. on the mother's side. Yeah. Um and there's there's um there's actually a very interesting book looking at Elvis's health in general. And obviously we know that Elvis had problems with drugs, etc., but he also there was also a history in his family of people dying young of heart attacks and heart problems in their 40s and their 50s. Um this kind of goes back to um mm. to cousins marrying on his mother's side, which was very common very very common in the late 19th early 20th century it was still very common so Mm. there were some inherited health issues that he had so i'm not i'm not hugely surprised that she died i'm obviously very sad that she did but with that knowledge it's um it's not entirely surprising but of course it's terribly sad and it's one piece of elvis another little piece of elvis that's now gone
1: Mm. Indeed. And by the way, Alastair, my producer, told me that when you used to work in the cabaret clubs, you did uh, Marlon Brando as well. Well, mate, The, the, the Godfather <laughs> I used to is. Do, I
0: used to do The Godfather. I mean, um, best movie ever no, made. I used to do variety shows, yeah. yes. And I do The Godfather and various other characters as well.
1: Yeah. <laughs> best movie ever made. Uh, I, I know I sound weird, but I watch it every year. And every year, I see something different in it. It's just one of the most magnificent films ever made by anybody. I think The Godfather. Oh, it's
0: extraordinary. And, yeah. you know, it was it was one of those new um types of cinema that really looked into the deep sense of relationships between yeah. characters and it was you know it was the first mob film that wasn't really made as a kind of a almost like a propaganda piece about oh we got you evil gangsters once again you know the, the defense have yeah. saved the day it was actually a story about family yeah. and those stories are very deep and coppola did a brilliant job yeah. of telling that story so i i completely agree it's a brilliant yeah. movie
1: Oh, yeah. Buona sera, buona sera, Yeah, I just absolutely <laughs> love it. Now, uh, I, I, meant, I said how long can this uh, go on for? You've been doing it for, for 20 years. Uh, how long do you see yourself doing it?
0: Well, my original idea was because I started at 18, which is about the same age Elvis did mm. with his career. So I thought, well, I've got to stop at 42 if I'm going to be authentic. you know. No. And I'm 39 now. So, you know, if I'm sticking to that, I've got about two and a half years left. Yeah. but um you know every every year goes by i get closer to that number i probably start to rethink it you know it's easy to say you're going to stop at 42 when you're 21 mm. or whatever mm. but um honestly i'm going to keep doing it as long as two things as long as people enjoy what i'm doing and as long as i feel deep down that i i'm offering some value mm. i don't want to do it for the sake of doing it forever mm. and i don't want to do it at a point where it doesn't feel Credible, you know, oh, gotcha. it, you know yeah. I, I feel like I'll be able to look in the mirror and, and know when that when that time comes. And mm. uh, hopefully that's not for a long time. But um, but given how big of Elvis fan I am, how much respect I have for him, mm. I'm very keen to sort of feel like I'm only doing it at a certain level. And when that, you know, when that time comes, I'll hang up the, uh, the jumpsuit. as yeah, it were. Hang
1: up the jumpsuit. And uh, do you update the show very often? I mean, obviously, you couldn't do the same show all of the time, but there's lots of Elvis material to choose from.
0: Well, that's the best thing about Elvis. I mean, yeah. he had something like seven or 800 songs that he recorded <laughs> yeah, total, I know, I know. which is a huge number, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know off by heart about 250, and then I probably know about another 200 sort of, you know, not completely, but I know most of it. But... um That's the great thing about Elvis is obviously they're all the really popular hits that you do all the time.
1: Sure. You do things
0: like Suspicious Minds, Burning Love, The American Trilogy, Mm. Can't Help Falling in Love, Love Me Tender, all these things that you put in all the time because that's what people want to hear. And that's your job is to entertain and make sure that people do hear what they want to hear. But there's always somewhere to go with Elvis. I mean, one of the things that happens at these competitions, like this last weekend, is there's a gospel show. And it's just pure gospel music for a couple of hours because Elvis recorded dozens of gospel songs. He did. So if you want to refresh something for yourself, but also for your audience, there's so many different styles to choose from. Rock and roll, ballads, gospel, soul, rhythm and blues, country. Elvis covered so much that there's always something you can do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, as I say, the 2024 European Grand Champion, we've simply got to get you to parks next year. Has to happen.
0: Well, thank you very much. I'd love to go. I Like that. I've never been to Oz. I've got all this family from Oz. Um, it would be brilliant. It would be a great privilege. So uh, let's see if we can, uh, we can uh, do a bit of a Colonel Parker and see if we can uh, <laughs> yeah. find a few people to make something happen.
1: Oh, God. I mean, f- finally, Colonel Tom Parker. Uh, there's a great expression in this country, a word in expression for Tom Parker. He was a shonk.
0: Shank, okay. Yeah, I've never heard that. Okay. Well, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, a lot of us don't.
1: A lot of us can't figure out why Elvis uh, had him there for so long. But I, I suppose he was well, as the movies tend to portray, he was under the part the Colonel's spell a bit, wasn't he? I think, yeah.
0: I think so. I I think he felt pretty loyal to the Colonel. He did. Um, I mean, I would say the Baz Luhrmann movie does exaggerate um, some of it quite a bit. It's all based on all the things that happen in the film are kind of loosely based on reality. But it's all it's all a bit exaggerated. But I think, you know, for Elvis, he he gave a lot of uh, credibility to the Colonel because he really believed. Yeah. that if it wasn't for the Colonel, he would um, he would never have become a huge star. Yeah. I mean, the Colonel was instrumental in Elvis's early career in getting him on TV, for example, which mm. was one of the, the biggest factors in Elvis becoming a global star the way he was. Yeah. And Elvis never forgot that. But also, Elvis was, he he had imposter syndrome, really. He was always worried that, mm. he used to talk about he'd have bad dreams where, he, where people realized just what a phony he was and didn't like him anymore and they stopped listening to him. You know, he had that insecurity deep down. So I think, Someone like Colonel stayed in his you know, he he kept Colonel in a hmm. in a high enough state in his mind for a lot of his life, thinking, well, if it hadn't been for the Colonel, I wouldn't have had this, this and this. So although well, they became incredibly frustrated with him, they cut they kind of became like an old married couple in a way, where they kind of felt yeah. like they wanted to give yeah get divorced but maybe they just couldn't or elvis didn't really know where to go what else to do mm. and of course he did fire colonel at one point in 1973 which is shown in the elvis movie that's not how it happened in the elvis movie it all happened in a hotel room not mm. on stage but um it did actually happen but again the colonel was very clever he demanded you know all of this uh compensation mm. from elvis and his father and they they got they had a bit of a panic about it they thought we haven't got that money yeah and um you know maybe who knows what would have happened if Elvis had. Stuck to his guns, had sort of batted off the colonel, got mm. a lawyer in, got some friends from Hollywood or something to help him, and then gone in a different direction. I think it would have been very good for him at that point. Yeah, but that's just you know that's high, the benefit of hindsight, and so we'll never know.
1: Yes, and hindsight's twenty twenty vision. Uh, one of my listeners says there is some books written by Peter Guralnik about Elvis that are very Guralnik. good. Guralnik, yes. is that yeah? You know about those, obviously.
0: I would recommend those to anybody who's interested. In learning about Elvis' life, I'd say the best biographies hmm. are two books. Um, the first one is called Last Train to Memphis, yeah. which is about Elvis's early career. And, um, and then the second is Careless Love, which is the second half of his life, both by Piers Gornick, and they're excellent books. They're, yeah. they're a fantastic insight, very well researched. And uh, so, yeah, they're, they're my biggest recommendations to anybody who wants to learn about Elvis Presley.
1: Well, J.D., you sound like a bit of an Elvis aficionado yourself.
0: Yes. so I'm a bit of a nerd, like I said, you know, you know, (laughs) you know, I used to as a kid, I used to just absorb everything Elvis, you know, I just became obsessed with his whole life and his whole story, you know, not, not just watching movies, collecting albums. Like I said, I used to buy bootleg recordings of Elvis. I used to listen to the terrible audience recordings of concerts that I'd never heard, you know, so it just, it consumed a lot of my, a lot of my passion really. Mm. And it still does to this day. So it's just kind of all built in there as a sort of a, encyclopedia if you like an elvisopedia in my head
1: hmm. well it's been a great pleasure talking to you it really has uh jd jim Devereux. it Devereaux's grandson i still think that's so cool <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> we have we have to get you we have to get you to parks next year we really do
0: i'd love i'd love to do it let's make it happen let's uh let's uh Let's channel the spirit of the colonel. Let's uh, let's do a snow job on somebody, as they say, and uh, be a bit of a shonk, and uh, let's make it happen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Anything I can do to help. And uh, congratulations to the 2024 European Grand Champion Elvis Tribute Artist. That's a real tribute to you, isn't it?
0: It's amazing. It's an amazing sort of sense of life achievement, actually. Yeah. Not because I ever set out to do something like that. I just love Elvis and that's the only reason I've ever been an Elvis tribute. Yeah. So to have that recognised in such a big way is just, it's very heartwarming and I'm, I'm so privileged. Yeah,
1: very special indeed. Now, where can my listeners find you online if they'd like to have a look?
0: Well, if you go to jdkingelvis.co.uk, okay. or if you just look me up on social media at jdkingelvis, you'll find me, and you'll find listings of my shows, and uh, hopefully I'll be out at Oz at some point, and uh, people be able to see what I do in person
1: yeah in, just let me pre-warn you but you probably know anyway uh, parks can be a little bit warm in January so they'll be wiping the sweat off your brow as well as they did with Elvis and
0: the, <laughs> the polar <laughs> opposite of the problem we have here. <laughs> yeah. I mean that's the thing you got to make sure the wig doesn't slide off that, that's where <laughs> the illusion really falls apart you know
1: <laughs> been great to talk to you JD thanks very much for your time my pleasure thank you Elvis tribute artist JD King
0: how cool is that ABC Listen Podcasts,
1: radio, news, music, and more.